0: Samuel warns them not once, not twice, but three times about what they were getting into. And after all three, the people say, we don't care. This is what we want. You get what you pay for. Uh, uh, so, so so, they ultimately end up with Saul being named as king. God uh, has Samuel anoint a young man from the tribe of Judea, a shepherd boy by the name of David. And in fact, that's what Uh, We talked about the last time we were together. David is named as the future king. Number five, Samuel is among the first of the prophets. There's a difference between a priest and a prophet. Uh, And and, and if you know this, fine. If you don't know this, let me share this with you. A priest serves as an intercessor, a go-between, a filter between God and man. The priest speaks to the people on behalf of God. The priest speaks to God on behalf of the people. That's what a priest is, Uh, and and, and that's why, just as an aside, that's why we don't call our clergy priests. We we call them ministers, pastors, reverends, some people want to be called elders, some people want to be called bishop, okay. Uh, uh, but, but, But we don't call our clergy priests. Because we don't believe as Baptists that there is a need for an intercessor between us and God. We believe that with the crucifixion of Jesus and the tearing of the veil in the temple, that it was symbolic of the fact that we don't need a go-between. We can go to God directly and God can speak directly to us. But... Samuel was a priest, we mentioned earlier, because he he was the filter between God and the people. He is a prophet because he speaks to the people what the Lord says. The role of a prophet is not to tell the future. The role of a prophet is to say what thus says the Lord. And so Samuel is listed among the first prophets of Israel because he speaks on God's behalf. Number six, Samuel lives under a Nazarite vow for the entirety of his life. Now, you remember when we talked about Samson, what a Nazarite vow entailed, and and Samson and Samuel are not the only Nazarites. There are others uh, who were Nazarites, but Samuel was a Nazarite for life. We told you when we talked about the Nazarite vow that not everyone was a Nazarite for life, uh, some people took the Nazarite vow for specific periods of time. Under the Nazarite vow, there are three things that are lifted up uh, as being major, of major importance. Number one, you do not touch a dead uh, carcass or, or the remains of a dead body. Number two, you do not drink any wine, any fermented drink. Number three, you do not cut your hair. Samuel was a Nazarite for life. And so he, he followed this for his entire life. His hair was never shaved. Number seven, as a priest, we just told you a priest is an intercessor. As a priest, Samuel shows great sensitivity before God for the needs of the people, both individual, both individual and corporate. Remember how last week's lesson opened with God coming to Samuel saying, how long are you going to mope over Saul? Even though Samuel was the one who told Saul, your monarchy is not going to last, your kingdom is not going to last, God is going to remove himself from you. We find God telling Samuel, stop moping over that boy because I've already made up my mind and what I've decided I'm going to do, I'm going to do. But as a priest, Samuel shows great sensitivity before God, for the needs of people, both individual and corporate. But as a prophet, as God's spokesman, Samuel is driven to deliver the word of God and carry out God's will in a spirit of excellence. What more can we want for ourselves than to be both priestly and prophetic? In our relationship with God and with one another. We told you last week, everybody ought to want a Samuel in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody ought to want somebody who intercedes on your behalf. Yeah. Well, well, what's that song we sing? Somebody prayed for me, yeah. had me on their mind, and then you start listing who prayed, mama prayed. I don't know why mama gets all the You never hear nothing about dad. Mama prayed for me. <laughs> Had me on her mind. Oh, God. I'd like to think Daddy had me on his mind, too. But, 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 that should be who we should be. Everybody in here has somebody who prayed for you before you had sense enough to pray for yourself. And there's somebody who needs you to pray for them. Need you to talk to them. Need you to try to straighten them out. But they also need you to pray. For them. All, all of us should want that, but all of us should also want somebody who will tell us the truth. And that, that's the role of a prophet. That, that's really the prophetic word to tell people the truth. Don't lie to folk. Don't tell folk that God is okay with what you're doing if God ain't okay with what you're doing. Don't tell folk it's all right. You can tell folk it's gonna be all right. But you can't tell folk it's all right because not everything that we do is all right amen hallelujah thank you jesus praise the lord (sighs) all right so that's that that that's in review and and that gets us down to where we left off last time which was first samuel 16 i'm trying to move as fast as i can uh we end it with 1 Samuel 16, and we pick up today in 1 Samuel 28, because between 16 and 28, Samuel is not mentioned. We, we, the last time we saw Samuel, he was anointing David at his father Jesse's house. Next thing you hear about Samuel, or the last thing you hear in chapter 16, is that he left and goes to Ramah. We pick up on Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 28. So, somebody ought to be asking, well, what happened between 16 and 28? He, he ain't tell us what happened between 16 and 28. So, let me tell you briefly what happened between 16 and 28, because somebody might be wondering about that. Y'all ain't. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I needed somebody to help me. Help me, Holy Ghost. In the interim, Saul's problems, stemming from his arrogant disobedience of God and God choosing another, David, to succeed him, have only intensified. His problems have only intensified. David is not only God's choice. But he is also the choice of the masses of the people of Israel. David goes out. He slays Goliath. David goes out and fights the various uh, battles with the Philistines, and he's victorious. And the people come back cheering. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Of course, it's, it's hyperbole, but it's meant to convey the fact that David has succeeded Saul in military victory, and Saul didn't like that. Not only is David the choice of the masses of the people, but David is even the choice within Saul's own family. Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes David's closest friend. They become blood brothers. They become completely devoted to one another, and Saul ends up giving Michael to David as, that's his daughter, gives Michael to David as his wife. Now, he meant to give her uh, 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 an older daughter, and David backed out and said, I'm, I'm nobody. I shouldn't be given uh, uh, the daughter of a king. And so he gives the daughter to someone else, a rival nation as, as a treaty, as did happen uh, quite commonly at that time but when it came down to michael and and saul saw that michael uh was attracted to david as well saul said well i'll give michael to david but the text says that he did it as an attempt to get david killed y'all don't know that part of the story do you turning your bodies back just a quick second to first samuel chapter 18 Starting with verse 20. Meanwhile, Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. When Saul was told of this, he rubbed his hands in anticipation. I want you all to see that. He's doing this. That's a good thing. I I can use this. Ah, a second chance. I'll use Michael as bait to get David out where the Philistines will make short work of him. So again, he said to David, you're going to be my son-in-law. Saul ordered his servants, get David off by himself and tell him the king is very taken with you and everyone at court loves you. Go ahead, become the king's son-in-law. The king's servants told all this to David, but David held back. What are you thinking of? I can't do that. I'm a nobody. I have nothing to offer. When the servants reported David's response to Saul, he told them to tell David this. The king isn't expecting any money from you. Only this. Go kill a hundred Philistines and bring evidence of your vengeance on the king's behalf. Avenge the king on his enemies. Saul expected David to be killed in action. So you see where David got the idea to kill Uriah? He got the idea from, from, from Saul who tried to kill him. On receiving this message, David was pleased. There was something he could do for the king that would qualify him to be his son-in-law. He lost no time, but went right out. He and his men killed the hundred Philistines, brought their evidence back in a sack, and counted it out before the king. Mission complete. Saul gave Michael, his daughter, to David in marriage, and Saul probably was cussing the whole time that the wedding was going on so 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 David was not only God's choice David was not only the choice of the people but David becomes the choice even of the folk in Saul's own family and observing this it becomes apparent to Saul that David is a rival to his monarchy. And so on numerous occasions Saul tries to kill David. Never, and and I'm saying this for a reason as we get into the lesson that we want to talk about, never with any attempt to consult with Samuel or God. Never with any attempt to consult with Samuel or God. He simply decides, I'm going to kill this boy. And, and he tries on several occasions to do it. Saul only does what he thinks is best in his own mind. At one point in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 17 through 23, he even kills God's priests because he believes that the priests are in league with David. Samuel's death is announced in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And the nation stops to mourn and bury him. But the problems between Saul and David continue and escalate. Beyond that issue, Saul now has problems with the Philistines. And by the time we reach 1 Samuel 28, Saul's problems are staggering. The Philistines have gathered together. They've put all of their collective armies together, and they have determined that they are going to destroy Israel and kill Saul once and for all. As chapter 28 begins, the Philistine king named Achish informs David that he and his men will go with Achish to fight against Saul and the Israelites. David Assures Achish that he will prove himself to be a worthy ally. And Akish responds by informing David that you are going to be my bodyguard for life. Okay? So that's where we begin our lesson with verse 3. You ready? Let's go. Yes, sir. Akish was one of the Philistine kings. The Philistines had several kings. In fact, they had five kings. Achish was one of the five. They, they, they were broken down into regions or districts, and each one had a district. And Akish and was one of the five Philistine kings. Samuel was now dead. All Israel, this is the second time you say Samuel's dead. All Israel had mourned his death and buried him in Ramah, his hometown. Saul had long since cleaned out all those who held seances with the dead. The Philistines had mustered their troops and camped at Shunem. Saul had assembled all Israel and camped at Gilboa. But when Saul saw the Philistine troops, he shook in his boots, scared to death. Saul prayed to God, but God didn't answer. Saul prayed to God. How many times have we seen Saul where Saul didn't pray to God? Saul prayed to God, but God didn't answer neither by dream nor by sign nor by prophet. So Saul ordered his officials, find me someone who can call up spirits so I may go and seek counsel from those spirits. His servants said, there's a witch at Endor." Saul disguised himself by putting on different clothes. Then taking two men with him, he went under the cover of night to the woman and said, I want you to consult a ghost for me. Call up the person I name. All right. This full-scale, all-out attack by the Philistines has all the signs of devastating defeat for Saul. And his army. The scripture says clearly that Saul is scared to death. And finally, when faced with the prospect of dying, Saul recognizes his need to talk to God. Ain't that something? He had to get right out on the ledge and then all the way out on the ledge where he ain't standing on nothing but his tippy toe before he decides, maybe I need to talk to God about this. Do you know somebody? Are you somebody who does whatever you want to do, acts however you want to act, tries to make everything work out the way you want it to work out, and only when you get to the end of your rope and you look like you're about to fall, do you say, well, maybe I could use some help in this matter"? That's where we find Saul. But the vessel by which God has been speaking to Saul in the past, Samuel is no longer available to him. Samuel is dead. It's been announced twice that Samuel is dead. And that only heightens Saul's fear and anxiety. Absent Samuel, you go back and read, we, we've covered it. Absent Samuel, Saul is not experienced in seeking God's will. Saul left that to Samuel to do. Even in the, in, in, in the moments when he first met Samuel, It wasn't Saul's idea when he was out there looking for his father's donkeys to go to where the seer was. In fact, Saul said, we've been out for three days looking. We can't find these donkeys. We need to go back home. It was Saul's companion who said, there's a seer in town. Let's go to the seer. And maybe the seer can tell us what happened to the donkeys. When the lots were drawn to learn that God had chosen uh, Saul to be Israel's king. Saul was not a part of the process. The scripture is clear to say that Saul was off in a corner hiding while the lots were being thrown. My point is this. Saul has never availed himself to the presence of God. Even when God was seeking him. This is an important lesson for us. God will seek you. God will come after you. God will pursue you. But at some point, you got to turn around, and you got to reach back to God. God respects your freedom of choice, even if, you're free, even if the ex- exercise of that choice leads you to damnation. I tell people all the time, if you end up in hell, pat yourself on the back. And tell yourself, job well done. Because the only way you end up in hell is that you reject all the pursuing that God has done of you. God has been pursuing you from day one. It ain't God who's hiding from you. It's you who's hiding from God. It ain't God who's running from you. It's you who are running from God. So if you end up in hell, and I I know ain't nobody in here going, but I just thought I'd let you know so you can tell somebody else who ain't here. If you end up in hell, pat yourself on the back and acknowledge the fact that that you did a, a good job to get where you are. We have to recognize that God will pursue us, but God will not force himself on anyone, When Jesus sends out his disciples and tells them to go out on their first evangelistic journey, he says, give them the message. Tell them who you are. Tell them what you represent. If they receive, you fine. If they don't, shake the dust from your feet and move on. We have to recognize that while God will pursue us, God will not force himself on us at some point. We have to turn and we have to receive what God has for us. Saul's uneasiness progresses from fear to terror and then from terror to absolute panic. He sees from a distance the armies of the Philistines. He sees how overwhelming they are. He sees the equipment that they have, the instrumentality that is at their disposal. And he knows that what he has at his disposal does not compare to what the Philistines have at their disposal. And he believes he must do something. And so he decides, that he's going to take a drastic step in order to force God to hear him and respond to him. Read what the text says Saul prayed to God, but God didn't answer, neither by dream, nor by sign, nor by prophet. Now, why didn't God? Because somebody's gonna say, Well, do, do, doesn't Jesus say, "Ask and you shall receive, and seeking and you shall find, and knocking the door shall be?" Yes, Jesus does say that. But in Saul's case, that doesn't apply. You want to know why it doesn't apply? Because God had already said what He was going to do. Turn back to First Samuel chapter fifteen, starting with verse twenty-four. Saul gave in and confessed. I've sinned, I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing the people. I let them tell me what to do. Oh, absolve me of my sin. Take my hand and lead me to the altar so I can worship God. But Samuel refused. No, I can't come alongside you in this. You rejected God's command. Now God has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul grabbed at his priestly robe and a piece tore off. Samuel said, God has just now torn the kingdom from you and handed it over to your neighbor, a better man than you are. Israel's God of glory doesn't deceive and he doesn't dither. He says what he means and means what he says. So, Saul's problem is that he's pursuing God when God has already told him that it's too late. Now, you and I, let's let's be clear, you and I don't have that problem, okay? This is pre-Pentecost, this is pre-Jesus, this is pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. You can't directly apply this to you and me. The thief on the cross is dying. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. So this doesn't apply to you and to me. But the the principle here is clear. There comes a point when you have rejected so much that God will let you go with your rejection. And after that, ain't no need running after God after that. He's already made up his mind what he's going to do. Samuel was running after God after that. And, and, and God tells Samuel, stop moping. Stop crying over him. I've already made up my mind. And I'm not going to change my mind. Saul waited too long. And now he's desperate. And, and, and because he's desperate and because he's king and because he's been used to having his own way, he thinks he can manipulate God. Now here's something that does apply to us. Some of us think we can manipulate God into doing what we want God to do. Can I tell you that God can't be manipulated? That what God says is what it is? And, and, and the best thing we can do is get in line with what God says. But that's not what Saul does. Saul, in his desperation, decides he's going to use a witch, that he's going to use a spiritist, that he's going to use a medium. Desperation is often a strong motivator towards the exercise of poor judgment. And that's what takes place here with Saul. He's desperate, he's running out of options. He doesn't know what else to do. And so in his final attempt to get God's attention, Saul decides that he's going to go against the word of God. And he's going to employ the services of Sister Eve. If you're watching by TV and you're asking your mama, who's Sister Eve? Your mama will know who Sister Eve is. Everybody in here knows who Sister Eve is. But you gotta be of a certain age to know who Sister Eve is. Uh, uh, He decides that he's going to go and get a medium in order to get God's attention. Now, let's be clear. God had strictly forbidden this. Turning your Bibles back to Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 31. Don't dabble in the occult or traffic with mediums. You'll pollute your souls. I am God, your God. Stay in Leviticus, jump down to chapter 20, verse 6. I will resolutely reject persons who dabble in the occult or traffic with mediums, prostituting themselves in their practices. I will cut them off from their people. Skip over to verse 27. A man or woman who is a medium or sorcerer among you must be put to death. You must kill them by stoning. They're responsible for their own deaths. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 10 through 14, after a meal, satisfied. Bless God, your God, for the good land he has given you. Make sure you don't forget God, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his rules, and regulations that I command you today. Make sure that when you eat and are satisfied, Build pleasant houses and settle in. See your herds and flocks flourish and more and more money come in. Watch your standard of living going up and up. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget God, your God, the God who delivered you from Egyptian slavery the God who led you through that huge and fearsome wilderness, those desolate, arid, badlands, crawling with fiery snakes and scorpions, the God who gave you water gushing from hard rock, the God who gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never heard of in order to give you a taste of the hard life, to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you. Keep reading. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this, all by myself, I'm rich, it's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors as it is today. If you forget, forget God, your God, and start taking up with other gods, serving and worshiping them, I'm on record right now as giving you firm warning that will be the end of you. I mean it destruction. You'll go to your doom, the same as the nations God is destroying before you doom because you wouldn't obey the voice of God, your God. So God clearly, unequivocally, repeatedly said, No mediums, no spiritists. No witches were to be in the land. And previously, Saul had wiped them out. He had moved them out of the land. He had done, for a change, Saul had done what God wanted him to do. But when pressure came, when it got tough, The one who wiped all the witches out said, go find me a witch. I'm trying to talk to God, and God ain't talking to me. I need somebody who can call up somebody who will make sure that God will talk to me. There's a lesson in this for us. You're only as strong as your weakest moment. You, the ones I'm looking at, the ones who are looking at me, you're only as strong as your weakest moment. We love to brag about our strong moments. We love to build fantasies and tales and myths around our strong moments. We want to forget and put in the background our weak moments, but never forget You are not as strong as you think you are. And all you have to do is find yourself in the right situation. And in the right situation, you will do everything that you swore you would never do. I never lie. Put yourself in the right situation. I never cheat. Put yourself in the right situation i'd never steal put yourself in the right situation you're only as strong as your weakest moment in his good moment in his strong moment in, in 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 his prevailing moment saul put all the witches out but when the pressure came and when he couldn't hear from god like he wanted to hear from God. The one who put the witches out goes looking for a witch. We talked Sunday about the fact that, that, that Peter, in, in a good moment, says to Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. But just a few moments later, when Jesus is talking about the suffering that he's going to endure and the pain and the, and the fact that he's going to die, Peter yanks Jesus off of his chair, pulls him off to the side and says, no, that ain't going to happen to you. You're only as strong as your weakest moment. Well, since I'm on Peter, let me stay on Peter for a second. Lord, I'll die with you. Yeah. You were with him, right? I don't know him. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you were with him. Yeah, we saw you. No, I, I don't, I don't know. You talk like him. You speak with the same uh, 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 accent. You must be with him. I told you, blankety blank. Because <laughs> the scripture says he started cussing. <laughs> Pressure. Pressure. Pressure can cause us to do all the things that we said we would never do. Under pressure, Saul says, find me a witch. And he knows he's wrong. You know how I know he knows he's he's wrong? He disguises himself. Takes off all of his kingly garments and puts on other garments. Doesn't go in the light of day. Sneaks out at night. What is it y'all say about freaks come out at night? <laughs> All that creeping y'all do at night? When, when when did Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night. Some crazy stuff goes on at night. But 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 you are only as strong as your weakest moment. So don't get so full of you that you forget that you need help along the journey of life. The woman said, just hold on now. You know what Saul did, how he swept the country clean of mediums. Why are you trying to trap me and get me killed? Saul swore solemnly as God lives You won't get in any trouble for this. The woman said, so whom do you want me to bring up? Samuel, bring me Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out loudly to Saul. Why did you lie to me? You're Saul. The king told her, you have nothing to fear. But what do you see? I see a spirit ascending from the underground. And what does he look like? Saul asked an old man ascending robed like a priest Saul knew it was Samuel He fell down face to the ground And worshipped Now let, let, let's clarify a couple of things really quickly Because I'm, I'm running out of time It says that he came up out of the underground I don't want y'all to think Samuel's in hell Because I mean, you know, we tend to think hell is down there Heaven is up there And hell is not. But it says that he came up from the underground. There is a fundamental difference between our understanding of death and the afterlife and the understanding that existed previous to Jesus. Why can't you talk? Previous to Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was believed that everybody, all the dead, went to the same place. That place was called Sheol, S H E O L. All the dead folk went to Sheol, and all the dead folk waited in Sheol for God to call them out now you and I have a different understanding of what happens when we die I've got a whole Bible study on what happens when you die and I I draw the distinction between Old Testament belief systems and New Testament belief systems but the reason why it says that Samuel ascended from the underground because it was believed that the common abode for all the dead was in Sheol and Sheol was in the underground okay you got that I want you all to think Samuel went to hell. Samuel didn't go to hell. Samuel did not go to hell, for those on TV. All right, so when, 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 when Samuel ascends and, and, and the woman recognizes him as Samuel and Saul recognizes him as Samuel by the description, the, the text says that Saul falls to the ground face first and he worships at the feet of Samuel. I, I got a question. Why couldn't he do that when Samuel was alive? One of my mama's favorite movies when, when I was a child, and, and most, if, if y'all of a certain age, I know y'all know this movie, a movie called Imitation of Life. Y'all, 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 y'all know the, the, the end scene of imitation of life a- after this girl has mistreated her mama so badly trying to pass for white and didn't want the world to know that that, that her mama was a negro uh that, that when the mama gets sick and dies at the funeral the girl comes running up and she comes screaming and hollering mama mama and i don't care how many times my mama saw that movie every time that girl comes running up to the casket my mama say why'd you wait till now to come you could just you could mark it like clockwork she gets up there, and she starts falling out all over the... Y'all know how folk fall out all over the casket. They starts falling out over the casket. My mama's, Why, why'd you wait till... We could say it with her. Why'd you wait till now to come? Some of us wait too long. Why couldn't Saul have been respectful of Samuel when he was alive? Why couldn't Saul have been obedient to the words of Samuel When he was alive, why did it take Samuel being dead and Saul being in trouble? Remember, Samuel's death is recorded in the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel. And it says that all of Israel stopped and buried him back in Ramah. Doesn't say anything about Saul. Doesn't say anything about Saul coming to the place where Samuel It doesn't say anything about Saul giving the eulogy at Samuel's funeral. It doesn't say anything about Saul calling for a national day of mourning when Samuel died. It does not mention Saul at all. But when Saul gets in trouble, when Saul gets in a crack that he can't get out of, all of a sudden he realizes how valuable samuel is to him and he decides i'm gonna get samuel to come back and talk to me and and, and when samuel arrives he thinks all right everything is good i got samuel here i can tell samuel what i need and if god won't listen to me then surely god will listen to samuel well let's hear what samuel has to say and then i'm going to eat my food Verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by calling me up? Because I'm in deep trouble, said Saul. Well, that's an honest answer. The Philistines are making war against me, and God has deserted me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either by prophet or by dream. And so I'm calling on you to tell me what to do. Why ask me? said Sam. God has turned away from you and is now on the side of your neighbor. God has done exactly what he told you through me. Ripped the kingdom right out of your hands and given it to your neighbor. It's because you did not obey God. Refused to carry out his seething judgment on Amalek. That God does to you what he is doing today. Worse yet. God is turning Israel along with you over to the Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And yes, indeed, God is giving Israel's army up to the Philistines. Okay, so Saul has finally reached the point where, 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 where he recognizes Samuel's value. And Saul has conjured up a means by which he can get Samuel's attention. And Saul has broken his own law and gone back on God's word and God's will in order to accomplish what he accomplished. And he goes through all these machinations. He takes off his, his kingly garments and puts on the pauper's garments. And he goes out in the cover of night just so that he can talk To Samuel. He tells this witch that ain't nothing gonna happen to you. You just call up who I want you to call up and everything is gonna be all right. And the witch calls up Samuel. And when Samuel shows up, Saul thinks everything is going to be fine. And Samuel says, No, it ain't. Everything is not fine. I don't know why you're bothering me. The last words I said to you were the words that you need to remember. I told you when I was alive. what, the God, what God had said to you, that your kingdom is coming to an end. Samuel, in very concise words, tells Saul what will happen to him, and he also tells him why. He tells him the kingdom has been torn from your hands and has been given to your neighbor. Now, I, I, I focused in on the word neighbor because it shows up a couple of times. And, and, and it doesn't say David. It says neighbor. Now, you read some commentaries, and they will say that neighbor is a reference to David. Well, ultimately, it is a reference to David because David becomes the one who succeeds uh, uh, Saul. But go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Look at verse 27. We read this a moment ago. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul grabbed at his priestly robe and a piece tore off. Samuel said, God has just torn the kingdom from you and handed it over to your neighbor. Now, this is before, chronologically, this is before Samuel has anointed David as king. So, it struck me that Samuel can't be talking about David when he uses the term neighbor. So then what is neighbor in reference to? Well, I looked it up. The word neighbor literally means anybody but you. That's what it literally means. It comes out, as it's gone through its various translations, it comes out neighbor. But what it literally means is I'm taking the kingdom from you and I'm giving it to anybody who ain't you. If that ain't a stinging indictment, I don't know what is. You can't have it no more. It was yours. I put it in your hands. You didn't know what to do with it. You didn't know how to appreciate it. You didn't know how to respect it. And so I have decided, since you don't know what to do, I'm gonna take it from you and I'm gonna give it to somebody else. Who you gonna give it to? Anybody. Anybody who ain't you. What that means is you so terrible You so awful, you so low down, you so no good, you are so unworthy that I can give it to anybody and anybody would be better than you. Those of you who, who I got two minutes, those of you who used to hire people, y'all ever hired a wrong person? Get them in the office. Realize, number one, they can't do the job. Number two, they got a nasty attitude while they can't do the job. Number three, they don't know how to be on time with a nasty attitude while they can't do the job. Anybody ever hire somebody like that? anybody ever work with somebody like that? Anybody ever work for somebody? like that, and and and, and, and 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 you've gone and you've talked to somebody, and you say, I got to get rid of so-and-so. Well, well who are you gonna put in their place? And you say, anybody. <laughs> I put anybody. Anybody's better than what I got right now. That doesn't work for you? You ever date somebody, and you thought they were the be-all, end-all, you thought that they were just everything, and then you come to find out that they ain't all that? And in fact, they ain't nothing at all. And you start talking to your friends about, I need to get out of this relationship. I, I done wasted my time. And they say, well, who are you going to go with? And you say, anybody. I'll go with anybody. Because anybody is better than what I got right now. That's what Samuel says to Saul. Samuel says to Saul, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and it's going to be given to anybody because anybody is better than you. What a terrible condemnation to be told that anybody is better than you. Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace amen Amen. y'all have a good afternoon